I'm Frau Kagalia, and this is An Aromatic Life. So I haven't talked a lot about food yet on this podcast, when in fact we eat food every day, and a large part of eating food and enjoying food involves using our sense of smell. Well, today I want to do that. This is going to be a food episode, and I won't lie, it might make you a little hungry. I thought since we're getting out more now, the fact that we're starting to see things open up more and we can slowly begin to enjoy going out to restaurants again and not just ordering in, I wanted to bring on a dear friend of mine, Kevin Cox, who's doing something really cool that you should know about. It's an activity he coined food walking, and it's something I believe we should all be doing more, right in our own town or city, and definitely when we explore new places. Kevin and I both strongly believe in the experience of food, the aroma, the flavor, the people, the ambiance, all of it. Really experiencing food is a wonderful way to bring joy to an otherwise, let's be honest, really mundane activity that we do every single day. That's what I hope you get out of this episode, that you have yet another tool to help you get more joy out of everyday experiences. My wish is that you're able to live a more aromatic life because I believe it brings joy. So let me tell you a little bit about my friend Kevin. Kevin Cox, also known as the Food Walker, is a writer and culinary explorer who believes that the origin of the world's great food is the street or humble kitchen, usually involving wood or charcoal only inches from the ground. He's published over a hundred food and travel articles and restaurant reviews and several hundred photographs. He's been a contributing writer for CNBC.com, Serious Eats, and numerous other publications and websites, and he's authored four editions of the Food and Dining section in acclaimed guidebooks to Singapore. And as a regular columnist in several monthly magazines, Kevin has lectured extensively in guided food tours, as well as served as a travel and destination journalist for various corporations and governmental travel bureaus around the world. Ultimately, Kevin loves to get low to the ground, searching for authenticity in food, and passion by those who make it. And I love this. He has just two culinary exploration rules, which are one, eat until you're afraid, and two, never be afraid. Words to live by, I say. So let's get into this topic of food walking. Enjoy my conversation with Kevin Cox. Hey, Kevin, I want to welcome you to An Aromatic Life. Thank you for stopping by. Hey, Frauke, it's so great to be here. I love your podcast, and it's an honor to be part of it. Oh, thanks so much. Um, so I wanted to have you on because I've known you for a long time now, <laughs> and it's been, I don't know how many years. It's got to be at least 15, Jeez, like, 16 yeah, years. Yeah, I think okay. we go back to 2000 or 2001, something. Oh, Maybe you're right. Even yeah, it's been 20 years. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But we've both been living in different parts of the world. So it's really nice to connect here again. And it's funny because since we've known each other for so long, we both are really passionate about all things smell and taste, which is wonderful. The, the yeah. kind of, despite everything else we were doing all those years, it's kind of all come back to smell and taste, hasn't it? It's so true. It's so <laughs> it's true. Um, so I wanted to start actually by asking you a really basic question. Um, I wanted to ask you what your sense of smell, what that, what that sense means to you. Oh, wow. Um, sense of smell is so important to me because um, I think that it sort of binds everything in the world around me. It's kind of the glue that holds. So, you know, I love eating obviously, and I love to taste and, and the tasting of different things and the hearing of the noises, whether it's of the food or just my environment around me, everything, it feels to me to be sort of separate little pieces of information. And when there's a smell that's happening at the same time, it sort of brings it all together so that it creates continuity and context between the sounds I'm hearing, the food I'm tasting, um, and all of that. So without smell, I think that I wouldn't um, get as rich uh, kind of a, an awareness. So smell is super important. Yeah, that's important. And then what does food mean to you? Uh, food means joy. Um, he's smiling, you know. actually. You <laughs> see him now. He's, <laughs> as soon as I said the word food, it's his, true. his whole face it's, lit up. 
food food to me you know with the exception of horrible extreme situations in different parts of the world for the most part food makes people happy and happy people are happy when they're eating so um, it's about sharing uh, with others it's about the sensory um, perception obviously but really it's more about the people and the place and kind of the overall environment that you're in when you're eating so food just brings joy to me yeah and if you were to put those two together smell and food Right. It gets back to like what I was saying, that yeah. the smell, it's the, it's the, the, the aromas, it's the glue that binds, it brings it all together. Yeah. And, um, and it makes it, I think, greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah. And when I think of food and smell, I think joy, like you said. Yeah, right. Joy and experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, that's a good point. Because sometimes food, and not to mention smells, aren't necessarily good. Right. And sometimes something tastes bad or smells bad, but the experience is equally as important as something that's beautiful mm -hmm. and it stays with you. So I think that good or bad, it's critical to kind of living for me. Right, right, right. All right. So I want to, as I do with each of my guests, I want to kind of go back in time, start from the beginning. You've had an incredibly interesting life. You're a man of the world. And I want our listeners to understand kind of your life's journey, not every single piece of it, obviously, but as it relates, because we're going to be talking about food and smelling today. So I think a lot of that is represented in your life's journey, um, oh, as yeah. I'm sure you'll tell me <laughs> in a minute. Yeah. But can we start off by just telling me where you were born and some of the places that you've lived and how those places have kind of informed your um, perceptions of, of foods and smells? Sure. Well, I was born in Syracuse, New York, um, and lived there only for a couple of years. Don't remember it very well. And when I was very young, um, my father um, was an educator and also an administrator with the Peace Corps. And we moved to Kenya in East Africa in the 60s. And um, uh, that was a, an incredible experience. Even when I was young, I learned to talk there. I had a very heavy British accent, apparently. You had a British accent? Colonial, yes, I used to ask to go play on the grass. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I don't remember that. But then we moved back to the US. Um, we lived um, in the DC area. And, and then most of my uh, US-based childhood was in Pittsburgh, oh, okay. uh, where I went to high school uh, but in the middle of that we moved back to Kenya when my dad was with UNESCO oh, wow. and um, and that that was a period of time of real awakening for me first of all I was a teenager but that's where I really discovered my love of food and my love of adventure <clears throat> my father was um, setting up international teacher training programs around Africa and my mother um, was um, getting her PhD in anthropology and she was a photographer as well so um, we had a very rich kind of localized experience in Kenya. And um, that's where I really discovered how big the world is and how much is out there. And my parents, because of their attitude, kind of gave me the, the sense of needing to experience as much of it as I possibly could. <laughs> yeah. It's and that of... definitely included food. <laughs> I think once you you go beyond the place you were born you're just like there's got to be more out there there's got to be it's, more out there and it just so makes true. you long for more right and to discover more i agree i mean i've always said to both of my parents sadly they both since passed away but um i've said to them that travel and the experiences abroad that we had were absolutely not just the greatest gift but also the greatest education that they ever could have given me because of that, because it shows you how big the world is and, and your whole perception and outlook is different than if you just stay in one place. Certainly nothing wrong with staying in one place. And there are things that people who have grown up in the same place have that I don't have. But um, for me, um, the, the discovery of the larger world has been the greatest thing in my life. And I think we'll, and we'll get to that later, but I think even if you haven't had the chance to explore other places, I think I want to talk to you about that later, how you can through food Absolutely. in your own 
that's right town right that's so right just because you haven't been in a lot of places doesn't mean you can't experience global that is, things it's true right yeah. so we'll talk about that in a minute but then so that was those were your high school years in pittsburgh and then i mean at some point you went off to asia which i know was much later because we met in new jersey that's right <laughs> we met so i went to college at the university of pittsburgh and then on to law school at pitt okay. also and then moved to the Philadelphia, New, greater New Jersey area where I practiced law for a number of years. And that's when we met. In fact, we were working for the same company. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and that was a wonderful experience at Fremenish. Um, but um, I decided at some point during Fremenish, my years at Fremenish, that I wanted to slow down a little bit. My wife and I both had big jobs that involved a lot of travel and very long hours. And we had these two little kids yes. and had kind of constructed this house of cards so that, you know, if, uh, if one thing went wrong, like one meeting went too late or one trip got extended, you know, there was nobody to buy food, open the mail, <laughs> take care of the children, you know, bathe them, little things like that. <laughs> bathe them, feed them, you know, the baby. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so we uh, together decided that, um, that one of us would kind of slow down. And my lifelong dream was not to be a lawyer, but was to be a writer. So we decided that I would try and see if I could become the writer I always dreamed of being. And uh, left Furmanish, worked for them as a contract lawyer. And um, because of that, one day... Uh, my wife walks in after work and says, hey, uh, what do you think about you know, moving to Singapore? And it was like, it was literally a 30 second conversation. It was like, let's go. Let's go. It wasn't like, oh, I don't know. I don't have a transition plan and the job. <laughs> it was like, nope, let's just go. Wow. And so we did. And we were in Singapore for almost five years. Um, she was with J&J at the time. And um and it was, that's where really I took off as a, as a food writer and became the food walker. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about that for sure. Um, and then after, just briefly after Singapore, you guys moved to Chile. Yeah. So well. we moved from Singapore back to the U.S. for two oh, years okay. and we were in uh, New Jersey for two years where I was um, really trying to explore the New York food scene and the okay. New York food market. But, you know, it's funny when you live abroad and you kind of get used to the expat lifestyle, it's, it's hard to come back. Some people think it's difficult to move away somewhere. And for me, repatriation is the hardest part. And after a couple of years, we decided that we really wanted to get back out there. Um, Lisa, <laughs> my wife is half Peruvian. We always loved all things Latin American and thought it would be a wonderful thing for us and for the kids to have a Latin American experience. Um, so she uh, ended up getting an amazing offer with a, a company based in Chile, Australian company based in Chile. And we moved to Santiago and we were there for um, about four years. Excellent. Yeah. And now you're in Seattle. Seattle. You're back Pacific in the US of A. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and very happy to be back. It's wonderful here. We love Seattle. All right. So seeing that you've gone to lots of different places around the world, I want to just focus back in on the first 10 years of your life. So in the first 10 years, that included being in Kenya, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what kinds of foods did you eat in the first 10 years of your life? So um, the one word answer would be everything. Uh, my parents <laughs> were the kind of people um, that, you know, they didn't give a lot of thought to whether the kids would like what's on the table. It was okay. like, this is the food we have and this is what we eat and we all eat it and we share it. And um, so I never remember not liking any food as a kid. I loved vegetables and spinach and we just ate everything. And I never had any kind of food dislikes. Um, and because of that, uh, both of my parents wanted us to try everything. So we learned a lot about the local African foods and the produce and vegetables and um, we used to, I used to spend a lot of time as a young kid with our helper, because at that time in Kenya, most expats had helpers helping them in the family. And uh, we had this wonderful man who I loved with all my heart. And he used to wake me up early in the morning 
when everybody else was sleeping and take me into the kitchen and sit me on the counter next to him <gasps> while he would make breakfast and cut vegetables and he would always hand me pieces of things to eat and I think that's that where it all maybe, started I think that's where it started yeah I think my dear Caroli was his name I think Caroli kind of got me going on this whole love of food Oh, wonderful. I think that's such a great thing to do with your kids. If I could do it over, I would do that more. Yeah, yeah, Just me too. bring them into the kitchen more. Yeah. Have them be yeah. part of the eating experience. Yeah. 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 Well, um, let's get into food. It's making me hungry, actually. Yeah. <laughs> let's start talking. Me too. Go <laughs> you too, right? Yeah, um, always. So as you know, this podcast is focused on our sense of smell. So I just want to spend a minute talking about flavor. Okay. Yeah. So, so much of what we experience when we're eating is a result of our sense of smell and our sense of smell allows us to have these amazing flavor experiences. So since you're always thinking about food, um, pretty much every day now, right? Um, oh, yeah. what does flavor mean to you? How does it contribute to the eating experience to you? Well, so uh, some years ago, my best buddy and I used to go backpacking a lot and we would carry lightweight gear in our packs and really crappy food because it was all about what was light so we get you know ah uh, yes ramen noodles and stuff like that and he always used to make fun of me because no matter what we were carrying i would always bring like this bag of spices and hot sauces and peppers and i used to say to him it doesn't matter what you eat when you're backpacking all that matters is the flavor because flavor is everything and he wow. always made fun of me saying, oh, yeah, your Mr. Flavor is everything. And it's that, like, that was I your am. term. Flavor that was is my everything. term. Flavor is everything. You could be eating sticks, but if you put enough spices on it, it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh. So flavor, flavor really, really is kind of um, kind of the the linchpin for great food for me. But it's it is so inextricably entwined with with uh, smell and, and aroma, but, um, yeah. And flavors don't always need to be good to be enjoyable. There are some things that I eat that I'm not sure I like, but I like tasting it and I like experiencing it. And I've always had a rule with my kids, the rule of three, I call it. And that is when you try something new, you have to try it three times before you can decide you don't like it. Right. And generally what would happen is they try it the first time and it's like, yeah, I can't eat that, daddy. Don't make me eat that. And it's like, no, no, we're going to try it again. And it has to be a real try. Right. And they would try it again and they would choke it down and say, yeah, I guess I can eat it. And then by the third try, they most of the time liked it. It's like, okay, it's not so bad. And, and then I, but true to my word, I would then say, you know, after three honest attempts, if you don't like it, that's okay. Because you don't have to like everything. It's okay not to like things that other people love. It's but it's good to have the experience, right? Yes. It's important yes. to have the experience at least. Right. Right. No, that's yeah. great. Um, so you've lived in a lot of different places then. Is there a certain culture that has really great flavors can you even say that or or is there no one better than another they're just different it's like picking um, a favorite child i suppose yeah exactly <laughs> it's 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 really hard because every everyone every food culture is different um and and so you you see similarities but even within the similarities for example in different south american countries some of the food seems similar and yet it has its own distinctive character but for me, I do have a certain weakness for Asian food. And really, from a flavor profile, I, my, I, if I had to say what my favorite was, I would say it was uh, Sichuan, Sichuan cuisine. Okay. I love Sichuan food. Um, and people say, oh, so you just like spicy food. And it's like, well, you know, really good Sichuan food isn't always spicy. Some of it is extraordinarily spicy. But a lot of it is very mild and delicate, but there's a flavor profile, um, which can be floral, can be earthy, um, and can be what I call bright, you know, kind mm -hmm. of vinegary, acidy, that sort of thing. Um, and they manage to combine those flavors and ingredients to make something that I just can't get enough of. I could eat it every day. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Um, I think 
you bring up a really good point about something being spicy or something being flavorful because um as you know my husband's of indian descent so he grew up with although he grew up in kenya yes <laughs> you i remember raised. that that's right. yes and but he grew up with a lot of you know obviously with indian cooking in his home and with a lot of different spices and the he always says to me you know don't worry about the the spiciness so much look for the flavor you know you can have different levels of heat and still yeah. get wonderful flavor Absolutely true. I'm a I'm a big believer in that as well. You know, it drives me crazy when you see, you know, all of these chili pepper products, the bottle, you know, hellfire hot sauce. Oh, or yeah, yeah. I think one is called a woman scorned, which I think is hilarious. And there's just all these crazy names. And you try some of these hot sauces with ghost pepper and habanero and all of these other things. And I don't get it because they don't have any taste. They're just hot. So I think they're taking the, the capsicum extract and the oils from, from ch these chilies and condensing them so much that you get a screaming hot taste, which frankly is not pleasant. It's just the either. sensation, right? You're just getting yeah, that sensation that's hitting your trigeminal nerve. It's just this that's right. That. And, and, you know, so many people, um, you know, it's kind of like a rite of passage. I know my son in college is like, yeah, we can take the hottest hot sauce there is. And it's like, yeah, but does it taste good? It's like, that doesn't matter. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it matters because why? Flavor is everything. So to me, um, it's not about the heat level. It's about the flavor, which is getting back to Sichuan food. One of the reasons why I love the uh, the Sichuan peppercorns, are, which are really um little flowers, I believe, you know, they can be spicy and they can give you that sort of vibrato vibration in your mouth, Yeah. but it's the taste of them. They're so floral and it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful taste. So I love to eat chilies, but I only like chilies if they're intact or freshly prepared. So you get the taste of the fruit. Okay. The, the heat alone really doesn't mean much to me. It's all about the flavor. And I find that people are almost afraid to try things because they just know, oh, this type of cuisine is known to be really spicy. Yeah. And right. um, one of the, we have a, a very large Afghan community here in the Bay Area. Mm. And so we've found some wonderful Afghan restaurants. And if you've ever had Afghan food, it's incredibly flavorful and not really hot. So right. it's just, it's just wonderful food. So <laughs> yeah, you're getting into, mixtures of dried spices and herbs and i think zatar is popular in afghani food i believe but i, I could yeah, be wrong a little about bit that. yeah but, but uh, yeah i agree the uh, the little bit of afghan food that i've had has been super flavorful but i've never thought of it as particularly spicy Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's talk about, let's get into this topic of food walking, which is ah. what your specialty is. So I love what you say on your website. So if I could read that for just one moment in case people have not yet visited your website, but I hopefully they will. It's in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> I walk to my food, eat without fear and walk again, searching for more. My approach is low to the ground, seeking authenticity in food and passion by the people who make it. It isn't always pretty, but it's always interesting. Love that. So explain to everyone what food walking is and how did you coin this term? So food walking, well, food walking is culinary exploration. It's, 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 um, it's tourism on a micro level. It's discovering and exploring the world around you from a food or flavor perspective. Um, I first coined the phrase food walking when I was in Singapore. And, um, you know, it's funny, we moved to Singapore and, you know, it's 98 degrees and high humidity every Oof. day of the year. 
And um, so I thought, well, for sure, when I move to Singapore, I'll lose weight, right? Because it's, I'll sweat it off and- <laughs> Walk and, around, um, right? Yeah, and the, the the few trailing spouse, trailing males, as they call them, uh, uh, who were in Singapore, uh, I guess they had nothing to do. So they all became triathletes and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, well, I maybe I'll do that. And it's like, no. And my wife looked at my waistline one day and said, you know, you just might not be the triathlete that you think. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, I want to walk I want to eat food. I want to discover food. And Singapore is one of the greatest um, food in terms of diversity, one of the greatest food countries, I think, in the world. Um, and it's very accessible. So I would walk for miles between hawker centers and restaurants and street food vendors. And, um, and I'd sweat like crazy. So then when I would go to eat something, I felt guilt-free because I had just burned off so many calories. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, okay, so there's something here. It's kind of a little bit exercise, a little bit eating, actually a lot of eating. <laughs> and, um, and so what is it I'm doing? I'm not, I'm not cycling. I'm not running. I'm walking for food. I'm food walking. And um, it just kind of stuck. I, I liked the term a lot, and um, but I decided to keep it forever when I had the great pleasure of spending a little bit of time with Anthony Bourdain, and he um, oh, wow. he said he said, "Dude, I freaking love Food Walker. That's a great name." And it's like, okay, I'll keep it forever. So you got to spend time with Anthony <laughs> yeah, uh, just a little bit, but uh, yeah. So uh, he loved Singapore as much as I did from a food standpoint. Wonderful, wonderful. So. Um, Explain to us how food walking works then. Let's say you were to go out today right. and you'd start food walking. How, what's the kind of, what's the process? So there are different ways you can do it. You can make a plan. Um, you can say, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try two different kinds of breakfast places or breakfast foods. Um, and then I'm going to walk somewhere else and see if there's some lunch food I can get and, 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 and find places that I haven't been to before. Um, so you can make a plan. You can even, I used to write a lot of food walks in Singapore and I would create a map and kind of give a walking tour, um, which I called food walks. And you just kind of go and discover, uh, but you can also freestyle it where you can just say, I'm just gonna go out and I don't know where exactly I'm gonna go, or I might know a general neighborhood, but I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna, walk around until I find something that appeals to me and I'm going to give it a shot and then I'm going to go somewhere else. And um, that's my favorite way to do it because it's not just about eating. It's about the exploration and the discovery of, of places that, you know, you may have walked past places a million times and maybe in your own neighborhood and you take, you walk the same route or you drive the same route to do, you know, your normal daily life activities but when you start food walking, you're looking closely at, at storefronts and you're just looking around and really kind of um, living in the moment of where you are. And you discover things that you either forgot were there or that you never noticed before. And I, I think I a key, you, sorry, a key thing you just said, if I just can interrupt for a minute, mm -hmm. is the fact that most of us are in cars all the time. Yeah, it's we true. go to a specific destination, we find a parking spot and we go to a restaurant and that's it. Instead of That's right. maybe parking far away and just walk through the neighborhood. It's so true. I mean, there've been so many times where I'm walking down the street that I've driven down a thousand times and I look and it's like, I never even saw that building before, or I never knew that restaurant was there. What is that place? So um, yeah, it's true. And, you know, in addition to the exercise you get and the, the good eating that you get, the, the real secret to food walking is that discovery. It's that exploration. And it's, it causes you in many cases, or at least me, to um, kind of fall in love all over again with, with where I am. And um, if you're ever in a rut in a place and it's like, hey, I always go to the same place and you know, I, I got to get out of my rut, um, go food walking and just discover something new, get lost. Just go find something and fall in love. Yeah, so let's talk about that because I know we're still in the middle of this pandemic. It's not over yet. And right. um, although we are probably able to travel a little more now, we're still pretty much in our hometowns for now. So 
if you're in your hometown and you think, oh, I know every restaurant in my town, I know everything about my town. Um, how do you challenge somebody to, to say, no, I'm going to rediscover it. I'm going to try food walking in that town once again, even though I feel like I know everything already. Is there, is there a way to food walk? We're going to get into what you do once you get to a restaurant in a minute, but um, can you just approach it from a different perspective and then and say, okay, I thought I knew everything about this restaurant, but I'm going to look at it from a, a different angle or I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think that that we tend to think we know everything about the restaurants we frequent or the streets that we walk down. Um, and I, at least for me, I think it's because I, I think that because I haven't been looking closely enough and, you know, the closer you look, the more you see. Um, so even within the same restaurant, if it's a restaurant that you've frequented, um, go in and order something you've never ordered before. Force yourself a little bit out of that comfort zone that's developed and try something new that's on the menu. And, you know, maybe you're used to getting their meat dishes, try their salads or their vegetarian dishes, or just, you know, try something different. And also, um, you know, talk to the people there. I mean, that's one of the one of the ah. great things that I found coming back to Seattle, coming back to the U.S., was um, living in Chile. Um, I speak, you know, a little bit of Spanish. It's terrible, but you know, I speak enough Spanish to get into trouble. But <laughs> there were so many times where I really wanted to have in-depth conversations with cooks or with restaurant owners about the food and how do you get this and how do you cook it and what are those flavors, and I just didn't have the vocabulary. So I came back here and it felt liberating because all of a sudden I could talk to everybody about it and ask stupid questions that they, you know, could always answer. One of the great things about food and people is people who make food love to talk about their food. They have a real passion. So if you show an interest in what they're doing, 99% of the time they respond with even more than you expected. Yeah. And so I find that people, yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Cause I find that the people who are willing to talk to you about it probably have the best food. I agree. The others will probably see it as just, I have to do this. I have to make some money to get by, or, you know, it's, it's, they don't have the passion for what they're actually making. And that's the secret ingredient uh, passion. You know, it's because great food isn't just about the, the food item that you put in your mouth. It's about <laughs> the, the love that goes into it. It's about the passion of the people. It's about the ingredients. And, you know, if you really have a strong passion in what you're doing, it just tastes better. I just truly believe that passion adds a flavor that you can't get without it. Yeah, yeah. So if you now are able to go to another town, because we talked about in town when you're where you live, but if you're able to go somewhere new, somewhere you've never been before, I think a lot of people, I know I, I'm changing my way of doing this, but I used to just go to a, a city and um, look up things beforehand and say, okay, this is the one everyone likes. I should go to that restaurant. And they yeah. ended up being really touristy and instead of being off the beaten path. And I think food walking really encourages the off the beaten path versus your standard touristy places. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, you know, listen, some of the, those really popular tourist places are popular because they're good. So as a rule, they're not all bad, but you know, you can kind of sniff them out a little bit. You can kind of see the ones that are geared strictly for tourism and then the ones that a lot of locals also go to but to me the key to to going to a, another place and discovering good food is getting as much local knowledge as you can um, the the hotel guidebooks and the pamphlets usually don't give you the good stuff um, you know there's a lot of online services like yelp and all of these other ones and um, some of them are very useful but i i tend to go for the more local websites if I'm if I haven't gotten there yet and try and figure out you know what kind of things are big here and where do the locals go and what are they saying about them um, and sometimes you just find a cool area you know in Seattle you know there's so many great neighborhoods and there's amazing food in every neighborhood but um, you know there's a couple of neighborhoods that are just really really known for food and when you get online and start researching and you find some of these places and they all seem to be in the same neighborhood, that's the neighborhood to go to. And then just go there and 
like I said, just get lost, go food walk. So let's talk about food experiences. Let's go down into the, into the, you know, deeper end of it. So since smelling is such an integral part of eating, sometimes our nose can be actually, I find can potentially be a detriment to trying new things, right? Yeah, if you something, yeah. something smells really unfamiliar and your brain immediately goes, danger, danger. This isn't familiar. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to like this. He's, he's laughing. <laughs> don't try that. Um, I'm trying to picture you when you first arrived in Asia. Um, the foods there were so different to what we know here. I mean, we've, we've gotten to know more Asian foods here in the U.S. I have to say it's evolved a lot here in the U.S., but yeah. typically we have our typical everyday foods and we might not be exposed to a lot of the foods that you got in, in Singapore. So yeah, that's for sure. um, things probably smelled very different there. So how did you overcome that experience of unfamiliar smells? Um, it was really interesting because there were, of course, some wonderful smells that were very alluring. And it's like, wait a minute, what is that? Um, but then there were other smells. It's like, what the hell is that? Just, you know. So um, to me, it, it's about curiosity. If I smell something and it smells like some sort of food, then I want to see what it is. I mean, everybody when they, not everybody, but when people talk about Southeast Asia and Singapore and Malaysia they, and, and bad smelling food, the first thing they come up with is durian, the king yes. of fruits, which is yeah. a, a spiky melon type thing. And, um, you know, in, in Singapore, for example, you're not allowed to carry cut durian on public transportation and buses and that sort of thing and the, the, the underground um, because the smell is so bad that it offends people. Um, I've actually kind of developed a love for the smell. I, I uh, didn't like it when I first smelled it, but it was such an unusual smell. I had to know what it was. So for me, it's about the curiosity of smells and that kind of helps me overcome it. You know, it's kind of like facing a fear. If you're afraid of something and you're able to confront it directly, the fear tends to go away. Um, and I find the same thing with smells. So bad smells shouldn't necessarily chase somebody away from them. They don't have to like the smell, but, um, but I think curiosity and a willingness to kind of expose oneself to those odors um, will kind of open Pandora's box for them and they'll discover all new things. And that's definitely what happened for me in Singapore. Yeah, because there's there's a difference between bad smells and unusual smells or unfamiliar right. smells. Right. This is bad, you know, we, we've got a nose to pick out if there's something dangerous or if milk's gone off or right. <laughs> meat's gone off. And right. and so we still need to be in tune with that because some not everything, especially street food, not everything is <laughs> is good. And we probably have stomach. Do you ever had did you ever have stomach issues or were you ever worried about any of that? I've been worried a couple of times. I am, I've been blessed with a, a, a cast iron stomach. So nice. um, I don't generally have problems. Um, I went on a writing food exploration um, assignment to India for 10 days. And um, it was all street food with a couple of local guys. And it was completely unfiltered eating in um, kind of rough and tumble cities like Varanasi and other places like that. And when I got back, I found out that, that uh, several of my friends had placed bets on which day of my trip I would get deathly ill from the food. Oh, wow. You know, which day will he just, and um, I didn't know it at the time, but I beat them all because I never got sick. So good for you. <laughs> but I was, I was concerned about it. I thought this is this water that I'm drinking and this local food and very, very old warm yogurts with flies on them and stuff is probably going to leave a mark, but it, it didn't. So I'm very lucky like that. Lucky you. I mean, so people do have to, you know, be careful. <laughs> yeah. I, I sometimes yeah. find there's a little alarm in the back of my head that goes off. If something doesn't smell good, I might turn my nose up on it, or I might, you know, say like, what is that? Why is, why does that smell so bad? That's different than the little, electrical buzzer in my brain that is my I guess my subconscious saying don't eat that that's not good like you okay. said like sour milk or something like that yeah 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 and what <laughs> I also find interesting is that sometimes something might smell bad but it'll taste really good exactly. you have to remember that I mean just like coffee smells good but on its own it doesn't always taste so good right it's the smell 
that gets you through. So just recognizing that. Yeah. And actually, I'm so glad you brought that up as a very quick aside. Um, you, one of your podcasts talked about coffee and how the molecules of coffee are different to your, to your, um, I guess, nasal passages. I'm yes. sorry. I don't know the, uh, yes. the nomenclature, um, than they are to your actual taste buds. And that's why coffee smells so different than it tastes. And I've always thought, you know, if coffee could taste the way it smells, it would be the greatest drink in the world, which maybe it already is. I don't it know. But it, it would be so much better. Um, but, um, and, and I never understood that until I listened to your podcast and I understood, oh, that's because these are actually different molecules in the way my body is perceiving them. Yep, yep. There's orthonasal was... smelling and retronasal smelling right. and just the way the, the odor molecules, when you're, when you're chewing, you're getting different aroma molecules than when you're just smelling it through your nose. That was so fascinating to me and really has changed my perspective on coffee uh, completely <laughs> since then. And you may have ruined me a little bit on coffee, although I oh, still no. too, drink too much of it. But, um, <laughs> no, but you're, you're right. Um, there are a lot of things that smell terrible and taste delicious. And um, actually, I mentioned durian earlier. I think durian is a, is a very good example of that. And I've told people before, if you can get this past your nose and into your mouth, you're going to really like it because it doesn't, it much like the coffee, it doesn't taste like it smells. It has a very different flavor. And um, I find that's the case too. So you have to be willing to take a chance every now and then with things that don't smell good. I mean, look, you can always spit it out. It's not going to kill you. Just try it. And if you don't like it, move on. Right. And like you said, try it three times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. going to be my new motto. The rule of three. That's right. <laughs> Um, so when you food walk, do you ever let your nose guide you? Do I do you let your eyes guide you. No, Let's actually, I would say probably my nose guides me as much as my eyes. Um, because a lot of times you smell things before you know where they are, especially if you're in a, an area that you're not familiar with. Um, you know, you'll smell bread baking somewhere and it's like, where is that coming from? And you just got to follow your nose and find it. So um, very often, actually, the, probably the thing that the greatest joy in terms of unexpected food discovery has been because of smells for me, where I've been walking down a street and I smell what is clearly some sort of roasting meat or, or um, you know, and, and my mind starts picturing crackling pigskin roasted on an open fire or something like that. And I follow it and I, I, find, I find it. And, uh, and it might not be exactly what I expected. I was in Peru in, in the Sacred Valley on the way to Machu Picchu, and we stopped in the little town of Pisac, and I smelled that. And it was in a marketplace, and it was like, okay, this is a crowded market. I don't see anybody cooking food, but somebody's cooking something really, really good, and I have to find it. So we walked down the narrow alley, and there was a wooden gate that was open, and there's some huge old mud and brick oven and there's an old guy cooking there so it's like what are you making what is it and i'm expecting that it's some sort of it's taste it sounded like or smell like pork it's like some kind of pig and instead he pulls out on his large wooden peel five or six guinea pigs cooey and um that are whole um and cut and stuffed in their belly with herbs and he's just got these intact little guinea pigs without any fur on them roasting with the most beautiful crispy brown skin and just, wow and it was and it's like oh, i have to have it so just sat there and just ate guinea pig and that was because of my nose and so those kinds of experiences you got to follow your nose yeah i love that and that's yeah. that's the beauty of smell versus sight it i mean is. you can only see what's in front of you whereas you that's can right. smell something around the corner it's so true. It's, it's scent walking with food walking, Kevin. It's we're gonna, true. I mean, we're going to co <laughs> term I think our... we're onto something here. I think we're going to start the empire. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. Now, um, all right. So my, my last really fun question is, what is the grossest thing you've ever eaten? Um, the grossest thing I've ever eaten um, was a, um, a uh, seahorse. And it was, it was in China, we're in Beijing at one of those night markets where they, you know, cook everything, spiders. I, I won't eat spiders. Yeah. Um, okay. 
don't do spiders don't do cockroaches just not i'll do ants and termites but i will not do spiders or cockroaches but um they had these little seahorses that were kind of dried out and roasted on a little stick and i thought okay you know i gotta try that i mean i like seafood and i like you know shellfish so how it's got to be similar it was the worst thing i've ever put in my mouth really i I, it, it was hard to describe because i just popped the whole thing it wasn't very large and i popped the whole thing into my mouth and it just the sensation was this gray muddy feeling that was like expanding slowly within my mouth and my smell and my senses it was absolutely horrible i ate it i swallowed okay. it you swallowed but, it um vowed never again to try seahorse so did it even have a flavor or what was the texture like it was it was crunchy it wasn't i thought it would be kind of soft in the middle it was crunchy um which you would think it would probably not have as much flavor because it was kind of dried out but it had this i want to say dirty flavor but not like dirt it had just this kind of rotten old like the puddles of a of a seafood wet market three days after the place closed you know oh, it God. was just it was just terrible but you know it's funny because i've eaten a lot of other foods that i haven't really liked but i have a i have a firm belief about food walking and about trying new foods and that is um that if it's real food not gimmicky food not you know not the um the what was the show that uh, Andrew Zimmern used to do um, bizarre oh, yeah. foods yeah if it's if it's a real food that real cultures prepare and eat then I will try it um, whether I like it or not because it's a legitimate food experience I don't need you know thrill factor food or or fake right. gimmicky yeah. food but if it's something real uh, I'll try it when I was a teenager living in Kenya, um, uh, one of the, the the Maasai ethnic group had a tradition of making this really interesting kind of elixir of a mixture of cow's milk and cow's blood oh, and wow. um, dried grasses or ashes from grasses. And sometimes even, I think, a little dirt. And they would mix it together during various, I think, ceremonies. I don't really know the culture, the cultural practice behind it. But it was quite common to have this and it was to look at it it was disgusting and to hear about you know what for a westerner like myself it was like so warm cow's milk and fresh cow's blood and dirt and ashes um but it's a Im very important part of uh, the food that they eat during you know specific times and so i had to try it and I didn't love it, but it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. And it was like, okay, you know, it has a little minerally kind of soury taste, but you know, so if it's real food, I think it's worth trying if you're, if you want to explore and, um, and uh, you know, food is. I, you're brave is all I can say. I have not gotten to your level of <laughs> trying things yet. <laughs> just listening to you describe that. I just not there yet, but hopefully one day I'll get there. I just need to do more food walking, <laughs> be braver. Let's go food walking together. Yes, we should do that. I yep. <laughs> can walk in San Francisco or in oh, Seattle. Yeah. That would be great. Um, well, then I have to just, instead of finishing on the grossest food, is there a, a favorite one that just lights you up? Do you have a, a favorite, like where you just weren't expecting it and you said, wow, this is amazing. Um, well, the the uh, the cooey, the guinea pig incident was amazing. Okay. And that kind of yes. leads into what is, you know, what is my very, very favorite food in terms of that kind of joyous ex yes. uh, feeling. And that's, it really gets down to roasted pork or roasted uh skin on uh, 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 some sort of animal. I love crispy roasted meat. I love the, the smell of the fat and the moisture of the meat and the crunch of the, of the skin. You know, food isn't just about taste and, and also not just about smell. It's also about sound, the sound of the food. Um, it's about, of course, the appearance of the food. It's a total sensory kind of uh, Experience, overload. Yeah. You it's have like, to yeah. have all of the sensory things and 
And one thing that is important to me also um, that I often feel it's people overlook is great eating isn't just about the food on the plate in front of you. It's also very often about the person sitting across from you. Yes. I mean, you know, part of the reason food tastes so good, and I've always found that some of my best food memories weren't just about the food. In fact, sometimes I don't even remember the food, but I remember the occasion and the people and the laughter and the sounds and the music and all of that. So it's a totality of experiences and, and factors that make food wonderful. Yes. Yep. I think that's a great way to to, to finish it off. Although we're not done yet because ah. as I ask every <laughs> guest uh -oh. who comes on, I have three questions that I ask every guest. I did give them to you ahead of time. So I hope you, you had some opportunity to think about them. Um, so I do want to end with that. So what's your favorite smell right now? Right now, my favorite smell, um, it's the smell of springtime for me. And what I mean by that is it's the smell of lump charcoal um, that I, every now and then it's spring here, people are just kind of coming out of their caves after the cold winter and they're lighting their fires. And you, you can tell the difference between those little briquette charcoals that you buy in the bags and lump charcoal, which looks like just burned up trees yeah um and there's a different smell and and so you're i'm walking down the street or even i'm driving somewhere with my window open and a smell of that charcoal with meat grilling on it wafts in and it just it's like okay we made it we made it through the winter and now it's yes. time to start cooking i again. love that so that's my that's me... definitely my favorite smell right now oh I, I love that i i you made me think did you ever go to argentina Yes. Because, and, I mean, if you love your meats and the... Well, uh, we we love the meats of Argentina and the way they cook it so much that two Christmases ago, which was our last Christmas in Chile, um, we um, bought an entire whole intact lamb, cordero as they call it, and um, stretched it out, you know, arms and legs all yes. splayed out on a metal cross, made a fire in the yard destroyed the grass just terrible but anyway it was worth it and we roasted this thing and had about 15 people over and we just cooked and drank wine and ate cordero and vegetables that we grilled and a turkey we grilled all day long and um we got that from argentina and i tell you what that's that's the way to cook yeah i mean i just i i think of you immediately when i hear all the things that you that you love that just which yeah. is kind of an aside to sorry your favorite smell right now but i just had to ask yeah <laughs> um all right your second the second question for you is do you have a favorite scent memory you can recall do you have a favorite scent memory maybe a couple but do you have one in particular i have one in particular that that is very meaningful to me um it's it goes back to my time in kenya um, I mentioned earlier, my mother was an anthropologist and, um, and a photographer. And one of the things she did while we were there, and then she stayed after we left for a while longer, was she moved into an African village and she wanted to live completely authentically and locally with the people of that village. Um, so she had a little hut with a dirt floor and wooden, you know, wooden walls and uh, cut out windows with no glass and no electricity, no plumbing. And she had chickens in her little shamba, her little garden out front and um, spoke the language and ate the food and was completely authentic living. And um, we used to love to go there and visit. And there was a smell there. And it's, a, I think, a very complex smell because it's a combination of wood smoke and, and the red clay soil of Kenya, the dirt and the dung that the goats and the chickens leave and the old wood and there's just it, it it fuses together to create this deep warm aroma which now um, many years after my mom passed away occasionally we will open a box that was hers or we'll pull something out and i'll open it and that smell will come out and wow. it transports me back there and it is such a warm, comforting feeling. It's definitely the scent memory of my life. Wow. So you have access to that smell still? 
occasionally, not not nearly as often, but we okay. still have a lot of her things and we had to box some things up after she passed away. So occasionally if we go into those things, it's like, yeah. oh, there it is. Wow. And it's just wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Sounds yeah. wonderful. What a great memory. Um, all right. And the last question, the one I love the most probably is, what would you say are five smells that best describe you? <laughs> That's a really I'm going to get to know question. you even better, Kevin. A really hard question. Um, <laughs> okay. So um, a little bit of, 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 of the things I've talked about. Um, I guess for me, I would be, what describes me best is a combination of wood smoke, um, um, maybe balsam or pine scent, um, uh, wet moss, kind of earthy scents like that, but also mixed in with a little bit of floral notes. I don't know if I'm answering your question as succinctly as you'd like me to. I, there's but, no right um, or wrong. It's yeah. whatever you feel. I mean, it could be, you know, the smell of pine is one and the smell of, you know, whatever it's. Yeah. It's um, it, it sort of defines me as kind of um, earthy, uh, pretty natural with an occasional bright uh, aroma or, or, or smell. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how I would describe myself. I think from there's the a spice in there for you too. Yeah, I, that's a very good point. There would be a little bit of spice in there. Um, I think there's some spice in you because you're adventurous. I don't know which spice you'd pick, but uh... maybe get back to that Sichuan peppercorn yeah, or, um, there you or go. A, a fruity, a fruity chili of some sort, you know, fruity, like a, a Serrano chili or a habanero or something like that. See, see. Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious about the floral. So what's the floral aspect? So what do you like about the floral part? It's funny because um, I love the smell of lavender, um, okay, yeah. and and but I also like um, you know what I think of is really really clean smells like roses. I love the smell of a rose. Yes, um, a real rose, not these a, fake roses. <laughs> that's right. Rose. That's right. You know, it's funny. Um, there are so many different kinds of smells, fake smells and real smells. When I first joined the company that we worked for before I had somebody in, in one of the labs say, um, we're, we're creating some five samples of different, of, of one kind of theme, thematic theme of a fragrance and, uh, give it a try. And I said, okay, what's the theme? It's like, it has to smell like the beach. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? Yes. And, and different people made each flavor. And it was remarkable because every single one was totally different than the other, but they all smelled like the beach. One was coconut oil and suntan lotion. The other yes. was, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers. The other was a salty kind of sandy smell. And it was remarkable because they were completely different, yet captured exactly the same sensation to me. Yeah. That was wild. So that's the beauty of smell. Yeah. That's yeah. a great way to finish. <laughs> thank you kevin thank you so much for joining me i'm it was so great to talk to you okay it is my pleasure uh thanks so much for having me on i love your podcast and uh, i just can't wait to hear more and more and let's go food walking let's do it so there you have it food walking now you know what it is and how to do it is it something you're gonna start exploring yourself i know i am just reflecting on our conversation because you know i love to do that I was thinking about how we're so used to getting in our car, our subway, or bus, just trying to get from point A to point B, when really the magic happens between point A and B. The joy is in the discovery and exploration of the journey itself. And walking is such a wonderful way to explore and discover. And let's not forget the beauty of our sense of smell, right? When we smell something, we can experience it even before we can see it. We can get lured by the smell of an aroma wafting in the air, coming around the corner, seducing us to check it out. I hope this episode gives you an incentive to connect more with food, to not only enjoy the foods that are familiar to you, definitely enjoy those more deeply, but to also enjoy those that are unfamiliar, that you're not sure of. As Kevin reminds us, there's a fear in the unknown, but if you just try it, the fear disappears. So give it a try. I know I will. And remember his rule of three. That's the key. I'll leave you with one final thought. I believe the beauty and joy is in the experience. 
and eating foods from different cultures and ethnicities, the unique aromas, the distinct flavors, they can tell us a lot about a people and what a gift that is. Food brings us closer and it gives us more understanding. And with understanding, we lose the fear. We come closer. All right, with that said, I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode. Send me a voicemail and let me know your thoughts. It's really easy to do. There's a link right in the show notes, which will take you to where you can leave me a voicemail. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining me on An Aromatic Life. If you're interested in learning more about your sense of smell from all different perspectives, subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends too. And it would be really helpful if you could rate the podcast so it helps others find it too. I also invite you to check out my website, falkaromatherapy.com, where you'll find information about workshops, courses, and other programs I offer. And make sure you grab my free audio training, How to Smell to Be Well, which you can download from my website. Until next time, remember to smell everything and have a wonderful day.